Welcome to Advanced Fashion Disruption, with co-hosts Benson Roberts III and Megan Somerville, where we discuss the tragic, the predatory, the glory, and the deep beauty of fashion. I'm ready whenever you are, although my dog may be barking. Got something to say. You know, it was about the same time yesterday. It's pretty adorable. It's like the 10.30, well, my time. I guess it's 12.30 your time. The, like, the lunchtime shuffle. No, he just, he's just being an asshole. <laughs> I'm pretty convinced that he's decided that telling on everything that everyone does is going to make his life easier. Like right now, I think he's telling me that the other dog is eating from his dish. Well, there are, there are multiple dishes of food, Ali. Go find one. Which is kind of like life, isn't it? There's always another dish of food. And speaking of yeah. dish, this is our Friday episode. Ta-da! It is. Um, I I think maybe we should like start diving into um, branding names. I mean, we kind of went down the path of you know aligning your brand um, with certain energy levels, but I think maybe um, talking about um, you know, having a name for something or utilizing your own name as your brand name, right? Right. Um, having done both, um, gosh, I, it's, it's hard to, I think in some ways it's hard to talk about and, and, and there might be an aftercare there too, but, um, when I first started my sewing business, um yeah oh my god that's just the sweetest little woof little little dog little dog come here ollie so hello okay but i think when i first started my business and i had such a not pleasant um relationship with my sibling i really had an innate want and desire to be people's sister to find a sisterhood to find a kindred spirit. And so I think that that's kind of where So Sister came out of. Mm -hmm. Retrospectively, it was not appropriate. Um, and in some ways, it's good that um, So Sister went the way that she did. It did. Um, Although I must tell you, I loved always being able to sing Patty LaBelle and the LaBelles whenever mm -hmm. I talked about So Sister, So Sister, Go Sister, So Sister. I do miss those days. And I think it was, you know, a want to, you know, be this um, familial figure um, that sews. And it was a, a nod to um, just my deep love of music. And, you know, my favorite thing it was going to different shows at South by Southwest or finding a band that was coming into town that not very many people heard of. And then really getting into their music and then figuring out what about that music inspired me as a designer and then using it in a show. And it was just such a, like a complete package for me. Um, I don't know. Like um, there, you know, there are parts of that life, that so sister life that I identified with so directly because it was, you know, part of when Twitter came about and, you know, there were just these beginning meetups of Twitter folks and we were all pushing each other and this camaraderie and 
I really miss that. And I don't know. I don't know. Where you going, Megan? Where you going? Well, I think that, like, you know, I think that some of it is a remorse for not being able to embody this persona. And it was easy to be able to just shift off a, you know, this is the emotional persona of a designer and um, I was so sister and it was, it was easy to be something I wasn't when I was sitting, you know, where I am in a basement in front of sewing machines with fabric piles around me, you know, it was, I could be right. the different person. And I remember talking to Stephen Mosier about that too, about having a different persona, um, being out and, um, and private life and having, you know, private conversations. And, and so for me, when I had to say goodbye to that element of his business and was getting business advice from business professionals that had been in fashion for a long time saying you really ought to align with your own name as your branding, because you have this really resonant name, you know, it, it pe when people say it, it brings joy. It just, it's, it's a good name. And so, um, really saying goodbye to So Sister and then saying hi to me, Megan Somerville, and, and having all of my own personal baggage about worthiness um, projected onto what I'm making. I made clear decisions early on that I would let my work speak for me as opposed to who I was as an individual. And I think that that's the shift that's made in my late forties, um, really, it's kind of where I'm putting a pinpoint on it. But when push came to shove, I, I believe that working under my own name label has been far more giving to me personally than working under a pseudonym. Truly, I can understand that. Um, and so, I you know, I've I've had before offers um, to purchase the um, sewing business. And, um, you know, that felt like a complete transaction, like, you know, so sister would live on or something. Um, and in a lot of ways, the way that things are scrutinized um, now, I think it probably it was the best thing that so sister ended the way that it did. Um, and it was a time to move on because there was more um, like self-discovery and, and designer discovery to be made that wouldn't have been made in, you know, the, the umbrella um, or the character of So Sister. Well, I will tell you, uh, a, a physical brick and mortar store is its own universe. It, oh, it's, right. it's, it's its own whole thing. And when you attach a brand to it, that brand takes on a life of its own. And between the two of them, they can consume every moment that you have in every day and eat all your energy to make them thrive. And of course, if you're going to open a business, your whole goal is to thrive. So I think that sometimes, um, this is what I'm telling myself, my, my, my business collapsing uh, under the weight of COVID and all of the restrictions and not reopening yet has given me time to do some really new things and to conceptualize some new ideas and to think of new ways to do the things that I've always wanted to do. And I think that sometimes it's necessary not to have that 24 hour drain on, um, on self uh, where we have to be 
there for our client base uh, these hours and we have to be there for our our um partners these hours and you know there there are very few hours left for ourselves and then branding is a whole different world you know you remember leonardo english English is my eighth language i loved leonardo he was such a brilliant man he did all of the branding for dell in south america right Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, he was he was sort of guiding me through branding and ever so often i would put something on facebook and i would wake up to leonardo on the phone saying you have to take that down you cannot say that and I, i and i finally said leonardo i'm actually okay with the people who want to buy my clothes knowing that i'm a loud mouth liberal activist i'm okay with that i don't think i actually want people who would be offended by the things i'm saying wearing my gear right. i think my clothes might kill them because of what kind of energy i put into them so um and he he finally got that that part of my brand was that i'm a socially conscious uh person and watching him, you know, through social media, really embrace and change um, into, you know, this very um, two gay daddies figure is like my favorite, <laughs> you know, like, it's just really, it's endearing to watch him go from that very disciplined corporate, this is the message, do not deviate from the message to right, right. Embracing the wholeness of the rest of his life, which involved, you know, this beautiful husband and daughter. And so, like, I love Leo. And, you know, there were so many um, not very nice people in Austin when I first got introduced to him that would make fun of him or would be, like, in his face. Like, I don't understand a single word he's saying, you know, like, laugh at me. And, And it wasn't really... I didn't feel like a time of, you know, more openness where I would have been able to call that out right then. But it was just so shocking of like, you, that, uh, that they understand you. They speak eight, eight languages. <laughs> Are you fucking stupid? <laughs> and so like, um, it was so weird to listen to what I thought at the time were influential people in the fashion scene making fun of another person to their face and i and and so much of what we do here together um rides a really fine line between critique and um you know talking being um upfront and talking about when stuff is um certain levels of doneness or thought gone into them um and it could be construed as mean but these people were just downright mean to him and so to see him you know make those inroads with you and then um watching his posts evolve over the years um with his beautiful family really is heartwarming (laughs) yeah no leonardo is is brilliant and uh, he he often beat people to the punch with his uh, english is my eighth language Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that was really his way of saying, you fucking stupid peons in Texas who can barely speak English. This is my eighth language. Blow me. Uh, that's at least what I inferred into <laughs> his explanation and what I would have told people. But he was he was brilliant. He was giving. He was kind. You know, he launched his own accessory uh, company, which I think has done very well. I love uh, his husband and his child I and, and um 
his battle with uh, his health and and overcoming that. I just love everything about Leonardo. Uh, and, and I think Leonardo eventually learned to understand that not every every brand was going to be the same. Not every brand needed to be sanitized. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely not a sanitized brand. Oh, no. <laughs> no, ma'am. If I could, I would just call myself fuck it. <laughs> Here's fuck it. I mean, why not? My am fuck. <laughs> Mr. Fuck, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> well, and I think that, like, um, watching our businesses dissolve and watching other people's business is evolve. I'm, I'm struck by, you know, my most recent um, fashion history reading it, because of Rachel again um, is Christian Lacroix when he sold his name and brand and he as a designer is now no longer able to design under his name and i and and i find that emotional aspect really a, a curious topic and and that's kind of what i want to talk about um, yeah let's do it kind of dovetailing further into you know beginning um names and um and i i don't know how i would feel if somebody came along and said you know i want to buy megan somerville and I, I don't know if i could do it it was such um grieving time saying goodbye to so sister that i would not be able to be in a position of these other designers to say goodbye to my name and not utilize it as um a voice of my design right right and, and you know that that is the the thing about uh, using your name as your brand when your name becomes your brand it also becomes part of your identity i mean i've definitely been dealing with that and i'm not uh i you know i was uh, transvestite dementia for a decade and then i was mondial mode for several decades uh, still have that label active that's sort of my ready to wear and then atelier benson became my higher end um um demi couture line and and even adding benson to that seemed risky at the time and you know i i may move right. on eventually and evolve into just being benson with a junior line of b3 or you know there, there are ways to play with the name but i think that um not only was Lacroix a a sort of a tale, a cautionary tale, but what happened with Halston? Halston uh, uh, sold his name uh, to a company that ended up selling his name to J.C. Penney, and Halston wasn't able to design under the name Halston anymore. He was not even able to take credit for designs when he ended up designing for the uh, Alvin Ailey um Ballet company, uh, I don't think that the costumes were even um, recognized as being his work. Uh, oh. Everyone knew, but I don't think that they were able to publicly say so. And that was a cautionary tale to me as a young man, because all of that was happening uh, as I was coming of age in America. And um, I, I have been offered investment. I have been offered partnerships over the years and always refused uh, because it just seemed too dangerous to risk my name. Hmm. Now I wonder if I made the right choice. I still own my name, but it's worth like 35 cents. Uh, yeah, like when you go look at Dun and Bradstreet numbers for what I, I do, it's like, oh, super duper. But at the same time, like I would rather still be able to create underneath 
um, the auspice of my own name, um, then, I mean, it would have to be a lot to sign it away. And I do have family lineage with some really fucking stellar names that I could totally embody um, as, you know, a new me persona. But I feel like after, you know, embodying a so sister persona and then um, having to retire it, you know, put it to bed, whatever you want to say. And then coming back to myself um, with a married name and accepting, you know, this persona and who she is and what she stands for and what she wants, um, you know, to put out there um, for people to consume about her. I don't know if I could do it again. I really don't know if I could do it again. Well, I said, it's a scary, dangerous thing to do. Mm-hmm. It is. And if there's anyone out there that would like to invest a half million dollars and own half my name, uh, now would be the time. I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. Uh, my name is worth at least 10 times that, but you can buy in cheap right now if you've got some seed money or angel investor money to get me back on my feet. I'm not too proud. I mean, and there's definitely been times where I have not been proud, where I have wanted to tap out and i know i approached you like you know what do you think all these patterns are worth i'm done and um i think everything worked out the way that it was supposed to happen because i think um sticking through the hard portions of design even though you want to give up is what feels to me the most rewarding part about being a designer. And I kind of feel like our friendship is similar because there's been years where we haven't spoken. And then, you know, we have um, closer relationships, either of a business nature or, Hey, I see you at, you're doing um, this show also, or whatever it happens to be. But like, you know, there's these ebbs and, and flows, um, uh, through throughout our our relationship seems to be similar ebbs and flows with um, how I feel about being a designer. I don't know. Some of these things are weird brain <laughs> cloud stuff that just kind of bubbles up and um, makes me think about all these relationships, right? I I think that ebbs and flows is a really good uh, phrase to bracket here. And you and I both definitely approach career in a very similar way. Um, We approach career understanding that career and creative output and business are actually a part of a whole fucking adult's life. Mm-hmm. And not the point of the life. And and I have worked where the work was the point of the life and gave it 20-hour days. But um, over the last decade and a half, I've learned to have a life flow, which sounds so hippy-dippy. But like I, I think that it's important that people who are independent artists building uh, companies, building brands, building stores, building empires, that you do have to recognize that there will always be an ebb and flow in life. And you've got to respect that. It's the thing that I tell my students when I'm teaching. It's the thing that I tell junior partners when they come to train with me and, and take on part of the business. I will always see and recognize your humanness first. 
And I now do that with myself. Mm -hmm. So when I can't, or even if I just don't want to, I don't. Um, and, and that's where the ebbs and flows become so important. Sometimes we're on fire. I have a feeling, Megan, that for the next five years, you and I are going to be like in bed together. Ty is going to get jealous. It's going to be like, get the <laughs> fuck out of my bed. I'll be like, I'm not really in your bed, but I'm sorry that I took all your wife's absolute free time this month. Uh, however, here's a check. Um, I have a feeling that we're going to really, because we're starting three or four really big things, and and both of us are going into that cognizant of the fact that those really big things are going to require a lot of attention and a lot of work and a lot of input. Right. I, and, and then I think that when the time comes for us to fuck off again, I'll be like, hey, that was a great five years. I'll see you in two. And I'm going off to uh, Kathmandu to sit on a mountain. I think it's important, you know, to, and I tell people, it, it's part of my designer manifesto, uh, my letter to young designers. I, I tell people that um, they will be tempted to do other things and they will be tempted to quit. And in fact, I think that they should. I think that they should quit design and try other things if for only the reason that they come back to design knowing that this is the thing that makes them the happiest. But absolutely try other things. I worked for telecom. I worked for AT&T Wireless. I worked for the state of Texas. I ran uh, 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 EBT benefits for several states. Um, I've taught. I've, I've, I've been a minister. I've danced. I've given blowjobs. I mean, I've done a lot of things in my life, and I always return to the thing that makes my soul sing. And that's why the branding and the name and the identity are all sort of interwoven. And that's why it always felt so dangerous to even think about selling any portion of that for any amount yeah. of money. I would love to hear from somebody um, who has been in the industry, who has utilized their name and has sold um, the rights um, to that to somebody. Because I think, you know, if they're allowed to speak about it, not necessarily from a technical aspect, but more of an emotional impact aspect. I think it would be, I think it'd be helpful um, for people. And, and I think that it, it, it really all depends on, on, uh, on how they contract. Hmm. You know, uh, when, when Halston signed his first contract, I think it was um, quite a bit better than when, when uh, his contract was sold to JCPenney. I think that he did have the, uh, um, intelligence and the awareness to keep creative license mm -hmm. to keep uh, to to maintain himself as the creative director of the Halston label and the Halston properties the cologne the jewelry the luggage the car seats um, what he missed was that they could sell it to somebody else and that he would lose that position so I don't know how Lacroix did it but but I think it's really this is this is so important for people to actually hear and understand you can negotiate anything into a contract never sign the contract they give you you look at the contract you see what works for you you see what doesn't work for you and then the negotiations begin you'll never get a hundred percent of what you want but they should never get a hundred percent of you so be careful when you negotiate those contracts whether it's for a photo shoot or a dress or or to sell your name for 17 billion dollars well, and I think that a lot of people are you know, misjudge when they go into a business relationship with somebody that um, the contract put in front of them is is wrote is it that's it you know that's it. yeah no. no god no 
And and I think that the art of um, I'm blowing my nose to that whole idea. <laughs> that's that's just rubbish. I mean, the contract is the the person who presents the contract is obviously going to try to get the upper hand. But the con the a contract's like a good salsa. It's going to be a dance, and and you're going to have to dip occasionally. You're going to have to slip your hip occasionally, and once in a while, you're going to have to trip your dance partner. Um, but it's 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 a negotiation to come up with a deal that is uh, workable for both parties. You know, um, Alexander McQueen, God rest his soul, um, he sold his name, uh, mm -hmm. which is when he went international. He 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 won Britain's. Uh, uh, best designer, like two years in a row, and and the second time, he remarked, they caught him on film saying, "I've won Britain's best designer second year in a row, and I can't even afford a double cheeseburger and crisps at McDonald's." So him selling his name to a a, a company that that has owned and uh, guided uh, fashion houses uh, got him to to the point where he was working in Paris on. Was it Shivanshi or Dior? Who did he take over? I should know this. Rachel will have my balls for not knowing this. I do know it. I just can't think of it. He took over one of the major houses as their creative director, and he also continued to work on Alexander McQueen. And that changed his life. Was it for the best? I don't know. I, I don't know. Was was the pressure of all that work what drove him eventually to drug abuse and weight loss and heart attack and suicidal ideology? I don't know. I don't know if that was the best choice, but he certainly put himself on the global map by doing so. And he obviously retained his creative control. Yeah. I mean, even, even who was it that, uh, um, wasn't Mark Jacobs. Uh, they took over Chanel for a brief moment and tried to do grunge with Chanel. So of course they immediately fired him. Um, it's, it's not always a good fit. It's not always the best idea, but, uh, I think it's worth trying, I, I imagine, but know your contract, right? Am I wrong? Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I read every line of my contract, and I, as I've grown older, I've learned that it doesn't matter what I think I understand. You give that shit to a lawyer. Oh, no. And yeah. You have a lawyer That's... look that over because they're going to find every bullshit death trap in there and, and close them up. So, um, I, you know, when I, when I signed a lease here on this building, uh, there must have been 12 pages that I just literally blacked out and said, I will not sign this until these are removed. This is all bullshit. And, uh, and, and they went, they went with it. Well, and like they're writing the contract to get absolutely every single penny they possibly can get from that particular rental situation. And my, my favorite story about the same thing, it, it was like sending it back to leasing, leasing agents was, it was my first factory that I was trying to put in Austin. And um, we were taking over somebody else's lease that had grown. And so we already had a really decent deal. But they wanted to write in the contract that this 20-year-old HVAC unit that was on the roof would be my responsibility if it went out <laughs> to heat, you know, to cool this entire um, 5,000 square foot sewing facility. And I was like, absolutely not. I am not going to pay or be responsible for a quarter to half a million dollar AC unit for a piece of property that I will never fucking own. And it was just like, I, what? it was the most ridiculous inclusion that I have seen in a um, retail lease space. But that was one of the things that I was immediately like, oh God, I got to look deeper because this is bullshit. <laughs> Every 
every single lease that I signed in Texas began with that. And in fact, that's how I really got myself out of the last lease in Smithville. Um, I told them that I could not sign to take responsibility for the upkeep, repair, or replacement of the HVAC system without a proper inspection. And they told me it had just been inspected and it's been uh, uh, kept up uh, every year. Uh, they come out twice a year. And of course, that wasn't true. When it finally blew um, blew its gasket and stopped cooling the place, we had somebody out who said it didn't look like anyone had been up there for 30 years. We didn't have air to the front of the building because literally the tape on the ducts had dried and fallen apart. Oh so we were, we were heating the uh, ceiling between, between the ceiling and the drop ceiling was being, was being cooled, not our store. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, we let them know that they had defrauded us. They lied. They said that they had an inspection. They showed me that it was inspected. Wasn't my air system. Was for a different building. Oh, so uh, they they were expecting me to replace and and the guy said the cheapest repair to get this up and working for anything more than a month or two is going to be thirty thousand. And I said I'm not going to spend that on this. But fuck you. So uh, the next time somebody tried to get me to sign for an air system, I'm like, unless it is literally brand new and insured, I'm not going to take responsibility for your air system. Absolutely not. Yeah, it that's your be, asset. <laughs> it has to be brand. That, that's part of why I'm renting from you is because you're supplying me an air conditioner. That's, that's not for me to replace or repair. Uh, and, and the laws say that if I replace it and it's mounted to the building, it's theirs. I don't even get to pull that out when I leave. Yeah, like it, uh, it becomes a fixed asset, to, fixed to the building, right? right? And the Jones Road store, when their 20-year-old air conditioner finally bit the shit, they were expecting us to buy a whole new one. We bought a window unit and said, well, we don't care that you think it's unsightly. We're not going to spend $15,000 on an air system. Uh, we spent $300 and now our store is cool and our customers are happy. And if you don't want people seeing this air system in the front of our window, we'll, we'll build a, a framework around it and no one will ever know it's here. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. But she tried to, until the day we left, she tried to get us to replace the air systems. I'm like, lady, these are all 20, 25 years old. You should have replaced them before you signed us in as a, as a leaseor. Like this is so Texas. That's such a Texas thing to do. <laughs> well, God. and the funny, the funny part is um, I sent you a message the other day when um, we had a delayed release on our Tuesday episode. And I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. Stuff went down. And it was air conditioning related in my own home. And I had to go online, teach myself how to do the repair and repair our freaking air conditioning. Because I well, I didn't want to wait two weeks, no, which is no, what I, it is I, right I, now, for somebody I, to come out. I did that before I realized that the problem with an air conditioner over on Jones Road was the capacitor. So every time we wanted to turn the air on, I had to go out and put this very long, thin stick in and hand crank the thing to start it. And eventually that stopped being an option, too. So... Um, and speaking of air conditioners, it's going to be in the triple digits here today. The cone of death heat is over the Midwest, and I may be the only single person in the entire city that has dialed the air conditioner up four more degrees. So I'm actually a little schwitzy today, but it, it makes sense to me to make sure that grandma or, or abuela down the street keeps air conditioner instead of me sucking up all the cold air. Yeah, I wish more turn- people would do that. We turned on our attic fan to suck in the morning cool air through our yeah. house. Yeah. And then shut all the doors and it's, we have our air conditioning hasn't turned on yet so far. Oh, and so like, like all of these, all of these Im- things are impactful, you know, that you, that you're thinking about um, your business and how it's running and, and, you know, how you can help 
where when you're in a rental situation and when it's not your freaking responsibility and the same goes like with um naming conventions and you know running um a business under um you know named pretenses or your own pretenses is that um you know you have to you have to keep the focus on you know what's the distant better good and i think a lot of that um kind of forward vision for me really changed moving up here to Denver and being a lot more in solitude as a designer and coming to the realization that I don't give a shit what people say about me socially, but I do give a shit about the professionals in my life that are trying to make things better for everybody else. I think that that is so well stated. And so maybe we end it there and we um, wish everybody to have a good day and do our, these are the people you should know routine. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, thank you for tuning in and listening to Advanced Fashion Disruption with your co-hosts, Megan Somerville and Benson Roberts, the third. Uh, we'd like to remind you to please check out angelforfashion.com, Jen Sidery's project to help support and bolster the designers from the Ukraine who are, uh, in some cases, actually on the front lines with guns shooting to uh, maintain their freedom. Yeah, and if you're having a hard time finding them, just go ahead and go to advancedfashiondisruption.com and you can find a link there directly to Angel for Fashion. And as always, just give us a listen. We have all of our content up on all of the major uh, podcast carriers. Thanks for listening.